Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, December 15th, and we're talking about a picks and shovels life science company, Bico Group. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com analyst, Yasser Elshimi. Yasser, how's it going? I'm doing well. How about you, Dylan? Doing all right. Um, I think this this is going to be a fun show for folks that have been longtime listeners and desperately miss the Wednesday healthcare episodes. Uh, we are going to be going deep into a business that I had to learn a lot about for the show. Uh, had to learn a lot of words, and I think uh, yeah, so we're probably going to have to do a lot of defining and getting ahead of some of the jargon we're going to be dropping on this episode. Don't worry, with Don't worry. we're doing the learning together. I, I, I think I have to start with a disclaimer that I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a scientific researcher. So a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, it's okay that it, it's it's hard, it's complicated. A lot of it is full of jargon. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to try and, you know, make it as, as straightforward as possible. Yeah, and, and I'll say like I love getting new and different ideas uh, in front of me. I'm, I'm sure our listeners do too. I mean, I, I tend to be more of a tech investor, but I learn everything. Uh, I learn from everything, no matter what gets thrown on my radar. Uh, you know, and it, it kind of broadens your horizons, even if it's not an investable idea for you. It's probably going to teach you a little bit of something uh, about where the world is going, and that is certainly the case with this company. Uh, so this is Bico Group, and I think we should probably get out ahead here and say this is an international company, Yasser not based in the United States. We need to we need to get that front and center here. You're absolutely right. So even though they do have a headquarter in Boston, Massachusetts, but their main headquarter is in Stock in, in Stockholm, Sweden, and they are listed on the Nasdaq First Exchange in Sweden. So um, I would also very much urge we I mean none of what we're going to discuss is financial advice. We're not recommending a stock to any of our listeners, but if you are interested in the company and the stock, um, I would highly recommend that you check out their international listing as opposed to their uh, OTC shares uh, over here, which are highly illiquid. Yeah, and uh, we're going to do our best to keep things in dollars here that we might accidentally slip into Krona because that's how a lot of their financials are denominated. Uh, but by and large, we're going to keep things in USD because that's, that's where the audience is and that's where uh, it's a little bit easier to make sense of things. Um, Let's let's kick things off with just the very simple who they are and what they do. Sure. Um, so Bico Group is a company that enables researchers and scientists to model, build, test, analyze, and observe 3D printed cells, tissues, and organs. Uh, I, I know that's a mouthful, but basically it's a company that allows any research lab in a university or in a pharmaceutical company or in a cosmetics company to build human-like tissues and organs in a lab environment and then test test them, analyze them, and uh, see kind of uh, run the entire workflow of research um, through that. So the company uses a razor, razor blade business model. Uh, they sell bioprinters at a competitive price. Uh, they've actually kind of revolutionized the field. Uh, bioprinters used to cost as much as $250,000 plus uh, when Bike Group, formerly the company is called Cell Inc., came to the market. They were like, no, we're going to sell them at $5,000 instead of $250,000. But 
you know, we're going to build a subscription-like business model where we're selling you bio-inks. You know, the bio-inks are the material, the compounds that are used to actually do the printing. So just think of your at-home printer and how the inkjet printer and how you need to replace your ink. That's pretty much uh, the business model. And I should say that the bio-inks are consumables, as they call them. Uh, these are highly profitable. They have very high gross margins. Um, and therefore, um, that, that that's a very interesting business model. And I would just conclude here by saying that, you know, the Bico Group, and as you can see in the name group, um, is a reference to the fact that they are kind of an umbrella company. They have 13 subsidiary companies under them. They have been highly acquisitive in the past. Um, and, uh, and just, you know, try and think of them and their business model as a constellation software of bioconvergence. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the business model, Razor and Blade, and we have seen health med tech companies take what would normally be a very high upfront cost for machinery and flip the model on its head and say, we're basically, you know, compared to the standard cost, giving it away for free or giving it away for very little uh, to the providers with the hope that we can build a viable business with the usage-based model. Um, it's huge in terms of convincing people to try your technology because the barrier is a lot lower for something like that, Yasser. Absolutely. Um, it's You just get a foot in the door and then you kind of keep that subscription going. That That's a very good business, very lucrative business model. So if you're looking at the website for this company, you're going to see a couple buzzwords. And I think it's worth us talking about what they are and how it comes together within the industry, the problem that it helps address. So the first one is bioconvergence. And I'm going to take something straight from the company's website here, Yasser. Bioconvergence Convergence is an industry segment within healthcare and research in life science that emphasizes the synergy between engineering, technology, and computerized systems. It is based on the understanding that biology and tech, the two pillars of biotechnology, aren't as hard to reconcile as they appear. In, in trying to define one buzzword, I might have brought some more in there. But really, what we're trying to do here, uh, it seems to me, in an oversimplified way, Yasser, is basically take the best of what we're able to do with biology, the best of what we're able to do with engineering methods, uh, and put them together to improve what happens in the life sciences and the healthcare space. That's right. And I think this is what's so fascinating also about this company kind of taking a pioneering uh, step in that in that field. And, and the name Bico itself is, in fact, short for bioconversions. Uh, that's why they named the company that uh, uh, recently. It renamed the company. It used to be Cell Inc. Uh, in reference to the bio inks that they used to sell or that they, they still sell, but it's no longer the main part of the business. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. So they you know, uh, the, the founder of this company, Eric Gatenholm, he, you're thinking like, how do we combine bio biology and biological matter with all the advancements that we're seeing on sort of the technology field, including in, you know, AI, genomics, mechanical engineering, optic sensors, nanotechnology, robotics, and the list goes on and on. So how do we, how do we kind of combine, or how do we actually take advantage of all these technological advantages, uh, I'm sorry, advancements in order to, um, kind of bring the field of biology and the study of cells, the human cells um, and tissues and organs forward. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, a very interesting business model. Yeah. And I think um, 
bioprinting in particular is probably one of the easiest ways for people to wrap their head around what bioconvergence looks like in a very practical sense and some of the problems that it can help address. So why don't we walk through that? You kind of mentioned it before, but I think it's a helpful illustration so people can understand what this business does and really how it fits into the life sciences industry. Right, absolutely. So Bico offers you the ability as a research lab or as a medical lab to design a 3D model of cells, tissues, or organs, then get a 3D model construct printed. Uh, so you first start with the software design, then you use the bioprinter to actually print that 3D model of cells or tissues or organs, then characterize it for functionality so or in plain english basically analyze it for response and drug like to drugs uh and other kind of uh stimuli um effectively evaluating evaluating it for regenerative medicine potential in particular um and and then do a, a very detailed downstream analysis on what the cell cell interactions might be so you want to see kind of how the cells are reacting to different compounds how cells are reacting to each other and then finally, you know, you build a model that improves in, on the two-dimensional culture that you just built. So, you know, it's a uh, it's 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 a kind of like a start to finish uh, type of, uh, of 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 work here that they do, uh, and they provide you with all the tools to do it. And just to give you an, an, a recent example here, less than two weeks ago. A research lab at Boston University, my alma mater, uh, Go Terriers, announced that they built for the first time ever a 3D bioprint of a heart on a chip. And of course, they used one of Bico's, um, you know, bioprinters for that. And without getting into technicalities, you know, this is quite a, a big deal, right? Uh, to build a 3D bioprint of a heart on a chip uh, because it opens the way not only to study cardiac disease on printed hearts as opposed to actual hearts, but also test medical applications and com compounds on heart under lab conditions. So, you know, you don't actually have to test these things on animals or humans. Uh, you can test them under lab conditions. And then what's even more exciting to me is the fact that this should be the prelude towards their ultimate goal here, which is the bioprinting of a human heart from a patient's own cells and then transplanting it. Um, and by the way, this does not just apply to a human heart. It could apply to any other organ like the liver, the kidney, and so on. Uh, so instead of patients having to wait for very long periods of time uh, to find a candidate uh, who can, you know, donate uh, an organ for their transplant procedure. And then, unfortunately, once they have the, the, the organs, they have to be on a lot of immunosuppressant medicines that kind of, uh, you know, really mess up with their immune systems in order to enhance the chances of those, let's say, alien organs being accepted uh, by the body and not rejected. So if you have an organ that's printed from your own cells, um, planted into you, uh, hopefully that should increase the chances of doing it faster, safer, and with higher chances of success. I love dipping my toe into life sciences and biotech stuff because it always sounds space age. I'm always like, all right, we're living 40 years in the future. I mean, it sounds incredible. And I think the value prop here, you, you did a great job outlining it. The simple value prop, if you're trying to get it down to about a sentence, is you're taking what would normally be a super time-consuming process and giving people the opportunity to identify effective treatments earlier than they would be able to normally at, at a scale that they probably would be able to normally. 
Absolutely. It's all about efficiency. It's all about safety. And hopefully it's also about eliminating the need to test on animals. Um, you know, this is, you know, obviously an ethical issue to a lot of people. Uh, many labs would rather avoid that, that procedure to begin with. Um, but yes, you know, this, this helps labs basically go through the testing part of medical compounds, either for pharmaceutical or cosmetic reasons. Um, you know, they can test, for example, let's say a company is trying to uh, design an anti-aging cream and they want to taste its effects on the skin, right? So you can bioprint a human tissue in a lab and, t and, t and test that compound on that human-like uh, human tissue that's printed um, and see Number one, if it's safe, and number two, if the compound works uh, for what you're trying to achieve. So that eliminates the need to kind of uh, go through a very lengthy and very kind of uh, dangerous, potentially dangerous, uh, process of testing these compounds on animals and humans. So uh, this is super cutting edge stuff. Um, the company in, in some ways has been around for a long time, in some ways not been around for a very long time. It goes back to 2014. Um, and I want to give people a sense of how they're able to put this technology officer into something that is a viable business and, and what the nuts and bolts of how they actually make money uh, looks like. It's a very interesting story because if you look at the sort of the background of their of their one of their co-founders, Eric Gatenholm, who is the CEO currently, um, he was actually an MBA student um, and he was introduced at the very young age of 23 years old to 3D bioprinting around 2014. And at that time, you know, academics and pharmaceutical companies, anybody who actually was in the field of bioprinting had to mix their own bio inks in-house, right? And then they had to shell out that at least $250,000 for that bioprinter. Um, but the fact that they had to mix their bio, their bio inks in-house meant that, you know, it was a lengthy process and it also opened the, the door for error, right? Human error otherwise, because each lab now has different standards of what constitutes bio inks. And sometimes there would be compatibility issues. So a lab can make a bio ink and then the bioprinter doesn't work. Uh, so who do you go to? And, and if you complain to the company that sold you the bioprinter, well, they are going to tell you, well, you know, it's your fault for the bio ink didn't work. So Eric uh, kind of recognized that gap in the market and he actually co-founded Cell Inc. Uh, in 2016, um, again, at 25 years old. And he listed the company uh, at the NASDAQ First North uh, Exchange in Stockholm only 10 months after founding the company. And fun fact here, you know, uh, the IPO was oversubscribed by over 1000% showing sort of the very strong uh, appetite among investors uh, to get behind this kind of company, um, especially uh, on, on the European, uh, you know, uh, arena. Yeah, oversubscribed IPO is usually a pretty good sign. Uh, it's a lot of pent up demand there. Uh, we talked about the razor and blade model and how they're intentionally bringing these uh, pieces of equipment in at a lower cost to people uh, that would be using them. It's it's a very effective way uh, to build market share and build a customer base very easily. Um, as we start to talk about the financials, some of the key business metrics, um, you mentioned earlier that it's a highly acquisitive company and and I think we need to talk about what that means for the company's finances and really what people should be paying attention to when they're looking at this business. 
Right. So similar to any company that does a lot of acquisitions, uh, you really got to pay attention to how well these acquisitions are integrated into the mother company. Uh, do they add value? Do they dilute shareholders? And I'm just going to go ahead and, and make it very clear to our listeners and our viewers here that the the you know that Bico has in fact doubled the share count, uh, you know over the past five years. So, you know that has effectively diluted um, early shareholders. But you know early shareholders are still sitting on on very stratospheric gains. Nonetheless, I think over twenty five hundred percent of gains since the IPO. So they're not too they're not too upset about that. But they have doubled the share count every time they acquire a company. They mostly use uh, equity issuance as a tool to acquire these companies. The other thing to kind of watch out for is uh, the differentiation between you know, what we see as a top line revenue growth as opposed to organic growth, organic revenue growth. So what do we mean by organic growth? It means sort of the old companies that kind of form uh, the backbone of what Baiku is. How, how well are they doing? How well are they growing compared to just the, the sales numbers being potentially artificially inflated uh, by all the new companies that are just, uh, that they've been acquiring? And yeah, on and, that and- front, I think they've been doing well. And I think one of the easy ways to think about it, if you're not used to looking at highly acquisitive companies, is uh, think about the restaurant industry. You can grow by having your existing stores sell more in the form of comps, or you can grow your revenue by opening new stores. Ideally, you see both of those things moving in the same direction, but you can inflate your top line if you're opening a lot of new stores, even if your existing stores are underperforming. Uh, With a highly acquisitive company, especially one that has diluted shareholders along the way, you want to make sure that both of those numbers are moving up and to the right, because otherwise that dilution maybe isn't worth it for shareholders. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, actually, after they've reported their quarter, uh, their third quarter numbers, the share prices have been very much pressured. I think they've almost lost half of their value. But a lot of other growth companies have recently been punished. But Baiko has also been uh, pretty pr- severely punished over the past month or so. Um, and that's because the organic growth number came around 60%. Now, if you kind of go through the management commentary, they kind of explain that um, by the fact that they have, you know, they have tough comps uh, year over year from uh, Q3 2020, where they had where they where they sold a lot of one-time hygiene uh, products for the pandemic, and they no longer do that. So if you take those high, one-time hygiene products out of the equation, organic growth comes up to about 80% year over year, which is still fairly good. It's a decline from 90% in the second quarter, but still 80% year over year organic growth. I'll take that any day. Yeah, and if you look at the top line chart here, uh, it is up and to the right in a dramatic way over the last couple of years. Uh, full year revenue for 2020, 45 million. Uh, over the trailing 12 months, we have revenue of around 114 million. So we're seeing that top line growth is outpacing a lot of the organic growth. Um, we want to make sure that all of the pieces of the business, the new and old, are performing. Uh, one of the other things I think that's important to check in on with a business like this is because of the razor and blade model, how much money are they making from the usage-based part of their business model? Right. So we'll we'll find that they are they've been increasing the share of the sales of what they call consumables, or you know, such as bio inks, um, year in year out. So it's a growing share of the revenue. I think uh, in Q two twenty twenty one, it has 
surpassed uh, 17%. So that's, you know, fairly good. It's heading in the right direction. Now compare that to, uh, let's say, Q2 2018, where it was less than 2%, almost 1%. So that's, you know, they've come a, a long way in terms of raising the revenue from consumables. Again, and that's important because these consumables or bioinks are highly profitable. They've come with very high margins. So you want to see that trending in the right direction over time. And one, just one more thing I'd add here, uh, Dylan, is that, you know, if you look back over the past five years since they've gone public, they have grown their top line by a CAGR of about 130% while growing their gross margin by a similar number, also a CAGR of 130%. So that sh tells me that they have a little bit of pricing power. Uh, so they're not just going for a sales at all costs kind of mentality. Um, they, they are trying to get there towards profitability, and, and that's an encouraging sign. One thing that kind of jumped out to me when I, when I was looking at the business is you, you did a great job laying out, um, you know, the margins for the the company and how it compares to some other players in the industry. Um, for for a company that is seeing scale and and leverage, we're actually seeing margin contraction, which I was a little bit surprised by. Yeah. So um, again, they explained that margin contraction the last quarter uh, due to kind of like tough comps with those, you know. Uh, you know, one-time hygienic products that they sold in, 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 in 2020. Um, but there have been other, actually, I would say potentially more discouraging signs related to their um, cash flow from operations. So they have been really hammered uh, by supply chain disruptions, delivery cost increases, intermittent lockdowns, especially in Europe. Um, and, and we can clearly see that in, you know, in the operating cash flow declining by nearly 10x in the first three quarters of 2021 compared to last year, um, as deliveries took much longer to execute, leading to, you know, rising inventories, sales cycle getting elongated, cost of goods sold also increasing due to inflation, inflationary pressures on raw materials. So in other words, everything is becoming more expensive and they, they're feeling that uh, as a company that does sell hardware um, items, it's not a software business primarily. So, you know, so that can be understood, but we would still like to see this improving over time as they come through this uh, tough period of supply chain disruption and, and inflation. So I know we only have a couple of minutes left and, and a good number of things to hit. Um, just to kind of quickly work us through the checklist, uh, you mentioned uh, CEO, co-founder, Eric Gatenholm, um, still involved in the business, uh, still calling the shots. And I think one of the reassuring things with this company is incredibly high inside ownership. Very high inside ownership. So you have, uh, despite all the share dilutions, uh, you have 30% of the common shares outstanding owned by the three co-founders, Eric Gatenholm, who is the CEO, Hector Martinez, the chief technology officer, and Gustin Danielson, the chief financial officer. Um, so that's encouraging to see. Um, they have been very involved. They are still serving on the company. Um, and they have actually, you know, formed quite a, a robust board, including a scientific advisory board to the company uh, that, that has a lot of weight uh, within the scientific and medical communities. So kudos to them for, for kind of taking this concept, uh, you know, and, and just running running with it and, and building what is likely going to be a, uh, a major player in this field. 
Yeah, and I believe this is about a two billion dollar company, roughly, uh, with market cap. That's, that's less than that. Yeah, it's yeah. about one point well, nine billion dollars. Uh, so it's still a small cap. Uh, that's what I get for rounding, yeah, sir. Uh, <laughs> but with a company that size, we know the the inside ownership and and really founder led business element is huge. Um, you know, the the leadership team on a company that size is going to have a much more outsized impact on the direction of that company going forward. You want to see great alignment there. And we have that with this business. Um, quickly, uh, before we wrap the show, just curious, what other X factors do you see with this company? Or what other things should people be paying attention to as they're checking it out? Right. So, you know, I'll just reiterate, they are the pioneer in this field of bioconvergence. Uh, they have created effectively a one-stop shop ecosystem for a lot of research labs and medical labs um, that handles kind of the entire workflow process from from sample handling all the way to production. Um, they have excellent commercial execution. They've been able to persistently close deals. Uh, they are customer first, and that's very important to see, especially in this business. Uh, they actually credit the reason behind most of their acquisitions and most of their innovations in the field to their customers, giving them feedback on what they need. So, uh, you know, the CEO actually travels to meet with uh, lab professionals all across the world and, and talks to them about what their needs are and then develops the products to meet those, those needs. Um, and finally, I would say they're writing a, a pretty um, potentially uh, explosive secular demand trend for regenerative precision and personalized medicine. So as we see kind of more and more uh, developments in biotech and especially in, uh, you know, synth synthetic DNA and, and synthetic biology, uh, companies like Genko Bioworks, Twist Biosciences, and, and so on have been leading that field. We should be, you know, Bico should stand to benefit quite a bit from, from that secular trend. Yeah, sir. I think we're going to have to put a bow on it there, but this is an awesome conversation. I'm glad you put this company on my radar and, and the radar of our listeners. I know folks pining for those healthcare episodes will be happy about this one. Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Happy to. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. Fool on.